Counselors, approach the bench. I have no further witnesses, Your Honor. Curiosity, I'm allowing this freak show to continue. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. Overruled. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Oh, hey, welcome to Movie Mistrial. The podcast where we examine the IMDb Top 250 and argue for or against the movies being on that list. My name is Johannes. And I am Raji. Today, we're talking about another film on that list. But before that, before we go into that, we have a guest. We do have a guest, Heather from the Watching Netflix Without You podcast. Hello. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. Why don't you tell us about yourself and uh, your show? Uh I have a podcast. We review movies that are Netflix original films and documentaries. And uh, I have a different guest every week. Well, my brother Ryan, half the time, and then different guests on the other weeks. But um, yeah, we just, we dive into the Netflix originals uh, exclusively. So it's been fun. That's right. And I've been on your show. That's right. And... I have, I think, 30 episodes up now, and yours is the fourth most listened to one. Oh, nice. Oh. We got to get that up to the top for you somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy to come back, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Hey, uh, Raji, what are we talking about today? We're talking about David Fincher's drama Fight Club. Fight Club was released October 15th, 1999, and stars Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, and Helena Bonham Carter. But before we go to Los Angeles, however, how's life? Pretty good. Had a little uh, COVID scare. Had the test and everything. But I'm better now. Not infected. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. good. Heather, how are you? I am well. I am, you know, I'm a mom. My kids just started school, so I have a little time freed up. I work from home, so it's been nice to uh, be able to not stay up late every night uh, doing stuff like over the summer. So I'm I'm happy with that. And uh, I'm just uh, I just be, I became a dad at the beginning of August on Yay! August first, um, and it's been quite the interesting ride. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that I've uh, been particular, I was particularly keen on, was being like involved in everything uh, throughout the process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying my best. I don't think I can do everything. Um, but my wife has been quite supportive throughout the whole process, as <laughs> as she should, uh, as she has, and as she always is in almost every single situation like this. And um, I, I'm an engineer by profession, and I thought that when we had the kid, we would be able to debug this kid and make sure that <laughs> we can deal with all the bugs. There's always going to be a process. And I'm finding out in the last uh, two weeks especially that kids can be unpredictable. And oh, uh, yeah. sometimes it's uh, it's not anything you expect. It's just a random life that gets to the kid. So. I think that I'm, I'm I'm enjoying the whole process of being a dad. And uh, I think every single time I'm really frustrated, she always makes it up by giving us a smile. Yes. So. <laughs> yep. It's all about those smiles. Tell you what. Are you, are you sleeping much? How's that going? 
Um, well, not not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I always Overrated. have plans for the day, mm-hmm. um, and they always get uh, destroyed because we need yeah. to either feed the baby. My wife needs to take a break, so I'm dealing with the baby for three hours um, because you know it's hard having the baby all the time. Oh yeah. So you know, we moved to a new apartment. We have a small balcony. We get to sit down outside. Uh, and just taking the breeze and relax for a bit. There you go. The air quality is back uh, to be good here in the Bay Area. So, yay for that. Oh, because of uh, brush fires and things? Mm. Oh, yeah, well, that's nice to hear. Couple, the last couple of weeks. So, happy to have good air again. Great. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Raji and I um, agree that Raji will... Uh, Take on the challenge of uh, arguing against you, Heather. Okay. Um, but uh, we will have you decide heads or tails. All right, Heather, what's it going to be? Heads or tails? I will pick tails. Bold move. <laughs> Tail. <Ooh. laughs> so you can decide if you want to talk for or against this movie. I think I will speak... For this movie. For it is. <laughs> is that, do I get to find out if that's good or bad news for you, Raji? I, <laughs> I think <laughs> that I prepared, I prepared, it's, I prepared more for four. Okay. But I think that there's enough, there, there are enough problems with the film that I can argue against. It's, it's just going to, it's going to be easier than arguing against Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cool. Uh, so we'll go into formal discussions and Raji will start. But before we do that, let's have a little synopsis. A depressed man, Edward Norton, suffering from insomnia, meets a strange soap salesman named Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt, and soon finds himself living in this squalid house after his perfect apartment is destroyed. The two bored men form an underground club with strict rules and fight other men who are fed up with their mundane lives. The perfect partnership phrase when Marla, Helena Bonham Carter, a fellow support group crasher, attracts Tyler's attention. The witness will address this court as judge or your honor. All right. To the judge and all the listeners, this movie follows an unreliable narrator played by Edward Norton as he battles emasculation in a world of efficient consumerism. We follow him through his depth of depression and insomnia as he battles for relevance in the world, to him creating a fight club to just feel things. But the irony is he regresses and creates a totally different system where participants are nameless and are carbon copies of each other. But instead of reporting to the capitalistic overlords, he reports to him as the fascistic leader. The movie seems spectacular at the beginning and during the first watch, but upon rewatch, you realize that the movie is just a hollow husk and basically tells, has no uh, plot whatsoever. So that is going to be my main argument against okay. this film. All right. Heather. Mm-hmm. The beautifully morbid deadpan tone that is set very early in the film and remains consistent throughout 
both through its drab style and its sense of humor, the latter of which serves to keep the viewer engaged despite its sometimes darker moods, uh, is the initial appeal of the movie that drags you in and then keeps you going as you watch the movie. Because once that grabs your interest, then you want to know what's going to happen next. And that is also a continuing theme. What's going to happen next? It's not a very predictable movie. Uh, and that is always a, a pleasant thing when watching a movie to not have a totally predictable plot. All right. Thank you for your opening arguments. Thank you. So I, I guess I'll, I'll, uh, I'll first say thank you for your opening arguments. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the points that I was trying to relay in my opening arguments. Um, I, I find that um, this movie is quite interesting in that the first time you watch it, it's a spectacular ride. You are, you know, following this guy as he goes through his bouts of insomnia and depression as he has initially regresses. Um, he can't fall asleep because he he's depressed about how the world works. Um, and then as time goes on, he creates this um, fight club uh, to fight this idea of emasculation. Um, and in there, they start to fight and they start to feel something. Um, and it creates a new addiction, right? But then after that, he just creates his own system that works in parallel to the system that he wants to destroy. Everybody loses their names and becomes numbers. And the only time where a name is uttered is upon their death. And we're talking about the situation with Robert in this scenario. Um, so basically, we have a situation where the whole the whole point of this film was this individual who was trying to escape um, the idea of feeling um, emasculated, drab, um, and having no control in the real world. And he creates a world where nobody has control. Everybody is nameless. And consumerism is uh, is is quite the norm, um, which is basically a carbon copy with a different system of government. And when you look at it from that perspective, the big morale of of the movie loses focus. Um, and I just feel like, what is the movie trying to say? Um, and I think that's one of the first things that I'm going to probably point out. Thank you. For your point, I would make this point that because we all ourselves live in a consumer-driven, very, you could say, almost aimless existence because wh what are we all working toward other than accumulation of more and more things, that this movie itself is a reflection of that in our own lives in the Western world. And furthermore that that could possibly be seen from a totally outside observer, say, from uh, I'll make up an imaginary guy from another planet comes and it's totally different there and he sees this and it's totally insane. And the movie captures that insanity very, very well. 
I I I think I kind of I I I understand the point you're making, um, and I, I I can totally get the point you're making, um, <laughs> but a lot of people see this Fight Club, and I, I think that one of the reasons why Fight Club is so high on people's lists is because they kind of see a vision of themselves in the film, um, because they're kind of lost. A lot of people are, and this movie. Let me give you. I'll give it one prop. This movie is as relevant today as it was uh, in the year it was created. I think it's even more relevant now, mm-hmm. uh, given all the weird movements we're seeing, especially online. Um, but like all those weird movements that we see online, a lot of them, they know what the problem is, but they don't have solutions to it. So basically, we have uh, an unreliable narrator who goes through um, trying to who's trying to cope with this world and um, lots of uh, use of erotic terms like I mean not erotic sorry uh, weird terms like cutting people's balls off um, there's a lot of things along those lines where they're trying to say like uh, there was a scene for example where they were sitting down and they were talking about getting married um, and uh, one of the things that they mentioned in the film in um, was talking about how his dad left him um, and how it was hard being living in a world being raised by women um, and how now their dad wants him to get married, but why would he want to do that and be, be uh, go back and live with more women? Um, and then, you know, he creates this persona because he's in love with Marla and he wants to deal with that as a totally different person, separate from himself. But at the end of the film, all of that doesn't matter because he ends up with Mala, the whole world is exploding around him, and he's just right back at the beginning. Um, so it's like he's sitting down to the film, and I, I totally get that we're enjoying this drab, weird stuff. People are crashing into stuff. People are making decisions because they don't want to deal with either their existence being drab or not but at the end of the film i don't know what we learn because if it was anarchy which is one of the things that they were professing at the beginning then he created order in that anarchy world if it was the fact that life doesn't their individuality doesn't matter which is the thing he was speaking about in the microphone saying you don't matter we're just corpses we're about we're gonna die anyway just think about death or whatever then even that doesn't matter because at the end of the film, he chooses life and kills uh, Tyler Durden, the, one of the few consistent characters he played. Um, so I think this is the last time I'm going to bring up this point. I'm going to move on. But I, I think that, uh, that I'm, that's where I'm going to stop on that particular issue. All right. Well, I have a two-word answer to that argument. Okay. <laughs> Twist ending. Huh? Twist ending. I'm just saying, we don't know what the point of the movie is, but it does give you that sucker punch in the face. And I mean, if a movie doesn't do that, what's the point of watching the movie? And I totally agree <laughs> with you. I, I agree with you on the twist ending, but that, that, only, that works only once. <laughs> it's like once you know the twist, the second time you're watching the film, the tw- the twist is just like in your face every single time. It's like immediately the first time you watch it, 
It's amazing. I, I loved it. But that second time, you see all the things like when they're in the in the um where was he in the hospital and he saw the flash of him uh when he was talking to his doctor and his doctor was like, Hey, there's a group of people talking about testicular cancer. There was a period where it flashed uh Tyler Durden flashed uh in his vision and boom, he appeared and he disappeared. And it's like the first time I watched it, I never noticed that. But after watching it and realizing, oh, there's a Tyler Durden, all of this stuff starts to happen. And you're like, oh, wait, so this stuff was in my face from the very beginning of the film. <laughs> and I did not realize that. I mean, it, it may make for a good second watch, but the twist ending only works once. Um, and I think that's a big problem for the film. Okay. But to go back to your earlier point... In a second watch, now you can figure out more carefully what the movie's actually trying to tell you now that you've got that shock out of the way. That's a good point. And that brings up my second argument against the film. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now that you know that there's a a twist, you start to look at all the actions in the film and how incoherent everyone seems to be. Um, And you start to question... Um, and I think there's an argument you can make against my point, but I, I won't give that to you yet. Um, but I think that it's like the, the scenes where you have to suspend your disbelief. The character of Mala, she's basically playing um, the audience who is experiencing this guy going through his multiple personality disorders. And every single time she's on scene, she always just stops short of saying, wait. Are you just two people dealing with me at the same time? Why are you acting this insane? Why are you acting this way? Um, she, you're messing with me. First you say this and first you say that. But there are also there are also weird um, things like when he goes downstairs to switch off the light. But Marla is upstairs, um, I guess, being loud. Um, and you're like, so wait, is it a physical manifestation of him downstairs? How did the lights go off? You know, things along those lines, because somebody physically turned off the light. So why the hell is Molly um, screaming upstairs? Um, and you, it's like you, you have questions and it makes it difficult to suspend your disbelief. That's the point I was trying to make. That is a good point. All right. Let's talk about Marla for a second. First of all, in favor of this movie, she had a pretty iconic introduction as a character, and she has some great quotable lines. For example, well, technically, I have more of a right to be there than you. You still have your balls. One of the greatest (laughs) lines in a movie never gets quoted. Uh, That's, That's a good one. And... And she, the the cleverness of the way that they do the movie is that you think she's the crazy one. You think she's like, why is she having these weird reactions to him? Like, why is she so mad at him? It doesn't make any sense. Right. She goes storming off and you think, well, what? What is this girl's problem? Why is she so weird? But she's not the weird one, as we then find out. She's been perfectly sane all along, trying to deal with this insane man with a split personality. So 
that to me is just a very clever plot point. But then when you come back around for another watch, you you can look at her character and see how she's reacting. And yes, it's right in your face, as you mentioned, and that's true enough. But again, you can now look deeper. You can look for the things you've missed to find out where what is there to this movie? What are they really trying to say? Which is that we live in a crazy world. Full stop. <laughs> yeah. I do. That is, I mean, that is true. I do, I do, I, I, I do concede that Heather was quite the interesting character to watch, um, and she made she made some very, very great. Uh, she had some great lines in the film. She did. Um, I think it was Marla, right? Marla, Marla yeah. Yes. Um, but it, it, I, I think I still think that there's a lot of suspense of disbelief that has to go on. Um, and I, I'm not entirely sure how to, how else to deal with that, except, I mean, I'll bring it up in the general discussion. Maybe at that particular point, we can have a, a full discussion about that. Um, but I, I, I do think that the, the suspense of disbelief is, is quite, is quite obvious. And for somebody who has to watch this film multiple times, I think that, it made great on you seeing all those plot holes there. That's one thing I'm going to say. Because the argument becomes, does this movie, is this movie meant to be in the top 250 list? Mm. And, and right now, you know, we're talking about movie number 11. Is this the 11th best movie ever made? Um, and I think if you look at it from that perspective, is it, I mean. I mean, do I get to just say you win the argument? Because <laughs> it's, it's not, it's definitely not the 11th best movie ever made. Um, I think the movie is, is very good. Uh, yes, definitely. I, I This is not a question of the quality of the film. Uh, but I think that some of the themes in the film are very actually it's reaching from the perspective of a guy. All right. Yeah. And this is a very guy centric film where women are basically treated as objects from the very beginning to the very end. Um, And basically women are blamed for everything that is going wrong with the men. um, And that men have become domesticated the only way to resolve that is to fight, uh, to feel manly again. Um, and it just feels out of place uh, in the world we currently live in. But movies are yeah. not created to be to be timeless. There are lots of films that were created in the past, and I'm not, I'm not going to ding the movie for the time it was created. I think at the time it was created, it was a very good film. And it's still quite relevant today because a lot of the themes that we see in this film still happen today yeah um but i i think the final point i was gonna make was in this film was that this film is just a collection of awesome scenes with long philosophical discussions um and you know the scene where tyler Durden had held the narrator's hand and poured the acid on it Throughout that whole period, all he was just doing was spitting philosophical stuff. And 
it's not it's just propaganda that makes no sense just sounds cool it makes no sense sounds cool and i think that's the reason it's i felt the film is a very hollow film it's good it seems spectacular the visuals are pretty nice but when you dig down and dig deep it's not a very deep film it the movie itself thinks it's deep but you have the movies about against consumerism and you're finding bmws everywhere pepsis everywhere starbucks cups in every scene it professes what he argues against and i think that's the big hollow problem with the film i think you changed my mind about it (laughs) (laughs) well that's a first i'm like what what i mean at the end of the day i immensely enjoyed this uh movie you know is it a t- is it the 11th best movie? No. Does it belong in the top 250? 249? Can I put it 249? <laughs> I I, I it, wouldn't have a problem with that. <laughs> it it's it's just um it's visually sucks you in. It has this tone and this style that is sleek, it's clever, it's it, it's a little bit different um especially at the time when this movie first came out. Um, you have iconic characters, iconic uh, lines, some great dialogue. Um, you know, the the narration style of the movie, the way he narrates it the whole time. But I, I think the inspiration for that probably was the book itself that this movie is based on. But it gives you so much more into the mind of the character and what's going on, which you don't usually get with movies. So I really liked that aspect of it. And, you know, um, if I have any complaint about this movie, I'm not super huge on gory violence. But, you know, the movie is good enough to that I keep I'll keep watching it. It doesn't it doesn't turn me away from the movie in that regard. And, you know, OK. And one other complaint that I have Jared Leto was like the third listed uh, person in the opening credits. And I it, he didn't come in until like the last half an hour of the movie. He was basically <laughs> just an extra. And then he had a tiny little speaking role. And I was like, mm. how did he get his name so far up in the credits of this movie? He's hardly <laughs> in it. And he's a really great actor. So like they maybe wasted that talent a little bit there. I, you know, I, 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 I could have I should have made that as one of my points. <laughs> <laughs> um but I, I think I, I don't have any more points to make and I think we can go into the general discussion if you're fine with that, Heather. Sure, yeah, I'm down for that. All right. All right. Let's let's move over to that. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. Welcome back. Thank Fight you. Club. Fight. Let's talk about Fight Club. No. no I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. Very good, very good. <laughs> Thou shalt not talk. Um, so, so a couple points, uh, kind of from from outsider's perspective. Uh, Raju, you had a lot of my points. Um, very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, check, check. <laughs> I think it's a good movie. I think the 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 problem is, like, if you have a movie that that is hinged around a twist, and it's kind of famous for its twist, and then the, you find the real meaning. Upon second rewatch, I think that's kind of problematic uh, coming from a conceptual standpoint, in my opinion. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I'll, I uh, 
I was kind of at a disadvantage because I watched this movie for the first time ever to, for this podcast episode. But I had already had the twist ending spoiled for me long ago, which was why I never ended up watching it, because I I am such a sucker. If you put a twist ending in a movie, I don't even care what the point of the movie is. (laughs) I love it. I love a twist ending. So I avoided this movie for years because I, you know, I was going to know how it ended and I hate that. But so I watched it and I was trying so hard the whole time to take the point of view of somebody who who had never watched the movie and didn't know what was coming. And the one place where it was so obvious what the twist was, was with Marla. Um, That's where it's the most obvious that this is, this is really the same guy. It's not two different people. It's one guy because she 100% treat every conversation they have. I'm like, it's just a couple fighting. That's what they're doing there. You know? So, um, uh, you know, you there is kind of a point there to what you were saying earlier, which is, you know, it when you do watch it the second time or knowing the ending, in my case, even if it's the first time you get I actually kept a whole list. And then I was like, that's way too long. I should shorten it of every single little thing that just stood right out to me as, oh, yeah, this is uh, foreshadowing, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Yeah. And then I was like, if I hadn't known that ending, would this be too much foreshadowing? Would I have seen it coming? I wonder, you know? So I don't know. The the weird thing about it is the first time I watched the film, before I knew there was a twist ending, it was all so exciting. It was like the ride was just, oh, my God, what is going on? This is crazy. This is this. (laughs) And once you know the twist ending, like everything just seems so obvious. And you're like, ah, so that was why she said that. Ah, and it just takes away from like that exciting, that adrenaline ride that you get, like the first time you ever watched it. Uh, you know, it, and I think that the movie relies on that twist too much uh, mm-hmm. for, you know, for it to be like viable. Um, I still think it's a good film. The ride is still fun. The story is still interesting. It still leaves you a lot of questions. Um, but I think that the first time you watch it, if you don't know the twist, it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, I was just thinking about something. I was trying to f- figure out how to create a metaphor for it. Uh, but something came to my mind and I was like, no, maybe that's not the best way to, to go ahead with this. Um, but I will say this about the film. Um, it does a good job of say, of showing that when people are desperate enough, they will see um, anything they need to see in a person to validate their own feelings. Um, the situation with Robert um, laying on the table, his dead body, and Edward Norton is trying to say, hey, this guy is a human being. These people, they have embraced that uh that philosophy so much that they think that what he's trying to say is something beyond what he's trying to say he's saying the obvious but they're seeing so much more in what he's saying than he's given and they create meaning into it um and i think that the movie does a good job of saying like yo even though you know edward uh, edward norton's character created this fight club tyler uh, durden created this fight club it's gonna leave 
outside of him because he can become irrelevant to the movement and mm-hmm. the movement will survive outside of him. So it's something that happens in today's world. It's very relevant today because they have, given the internet, there are lots of movements happening. Um, and I'm not going to be political, so I'm just going to avoid what those movements are. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but um, it creates a situation where we could have lots of help, um, helpless, headless um, movements that can keep going and keep growing because mm-hmm. people are, they feel like sad uh, and they can't cope with the world as it is. Good point. I mean, so you both brought up that uh, like there's many clues along the way. And like I, when I took notes when I watched the movie yesterday, like that's what it boiled down to for me as well. It's just kind of like typing down all the notes, uh, like all the, the clues, right? Yeah. All the the little things of like, oh, you know, this is like, uh, you know, who are you talking to when, when Tyler Norton talk? Um, or like when he fights his boss or fights himself, right? It's like somehow I reminded myself of the first fight with Tyler. Like there's like tons of these little things where it's just like, where it's clear, it's in your face. Um, and to a degree, I kind of, I agree with Raji in this arguments where it's like, this movie thinks it's very clever, but maybe it's, it's doing it too much Mm. a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if this, I, I just this suddenly occurred to me. I got curious because I, I never realized that this movie was based on a book. And I, the minute it started and the way he was narrating, I was like, it sounds like I'm listening to an audiobook because I listen to a lot of audiobooks. And so I looked it up. I was like, oh, this is based on a book. And I got curious about the differences between the book and the movie. And one striking difference is the way that it ended. In the book, it ends with he ends up in a mental institution after he tries to take his own life. And when he's talking to one of the orderlies or the nurses or something like that, it's one of the fight club people. And that's how it ends, you know. So, you know, to sort of circle back to what what is the whole point of this movie? There is no point. Maybe that's the point. Do you know what I mean? Like, because when you, the ending of the movie is kind of ambiguous, in my opinion. Like, what's going to happen next? What, what's the symbolism here with all these buildings exploding? Um, you know, this guy, I don't know. I kind of lost my thread there, but you just reminded me when you were talking of yeah. that and how maybe the whole point was. You know, you are your own maker, perhaps. Uh, it, and, you know, if he hit rock bottom and he just kept going and he's never coming back, you know, so. And he it's, created it, that it, situation. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It, it It's an interesting point. I, I, I almost want to say, I think the, the, the book ending that, that, that you mentioned is more compelling in that that it's now it's about that that kind of movement in, in air quotes right that that mm-hmm. he created that completely spun out of control uh it's kind of allured in the movie as well when when he's uh in with the cops and they just kind of take over and um, like he, he's losing 
grasp of the situation. But I feel like that book ending feels a little more you know, to to that point. At least some like first initial thoughts on that. I think the book ending is quite interesting too because it contrasts with how the how it hand, ends in the film in the film where the character of Edward Norton was still treated like a hero because we're still rooting for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not entirely sure how the character in the book ends uh, feels. Is he still a hero? But I think that the idea of him ending up in the mental institution is a more, um, it's a more appropriate ending yeah. to the book, to, to the story, because it creates a justification every single thing um the fact that he's able to walk scot-free after creating so much chaos is very makes the movie a lot more morally ambiguous Mm -hmm. um i mean at least in the mental institution we know that he's suffering uh he has mental uh mental um stress and he's suffering going through mental depressions and sick um but in this one you know in the movie it just feels like shoot himself in the head. Uh, I'm blowing his cheekbone was enough to deal with the character of Tyler Durden. And we all know that in reality, he's going to see Tyler Durden again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, that is not the way to handle mental illness. Let's just <laughs> throw that out there. Don't do what Tyler Durden did. That is not the solution. And, sorry, just to get morbid for a second, because I, I listened to a lot of true crime podcasts. Hmm. When he held the gun under his chin, I was like, well, that's not going to do it. Like, that's not. <laughs> I, sorry. It was more, I had, the, mov- the movie was morbid, and it made me morbid in the moment. Uh, it's yeah. fine. I like, <laughs> I like Gallo's humor. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so here's the thought. I, like, I, I remember when it came out. And this is the year of um, 99. I think The Matrix came out that year, too. Like somewhere around that. Um, And I felt it was very kind of in the same vein. But I I remember, um, like, the the, the main allure of the movie was, like, it was super violent. And Mm -hmm. it was, like, you know, dudes fighting. (laughs) And, you know, the whole macho idea of, of, like, brawls and all that. And then... um, it's kind of pulling a bait and switch, I I think, right? Like, it, like people came in for the for for that whole ideal of of like this crazy, violent, fight club, movie, right? But then it, it it's really about, like, I, I guess that's what it's about, like mental health, right? Like yeah. At, at the core, it's 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 a kind of um, messed up look at somebody who's really mentally ill, and kind of I guess you could draw like a metaphorical kind of bigger picture of how the, the, the system fails somebody who is so mentally ill in a way too, right? Because he, he there, there's no way for him to get help or maybe he's too proud to get help. Or he just doesn't know. realize that he needs it or something. Or that, you know? yeah. Um, that might be the trickiest thing in, in some people to get help is if the person doesn't know that they need it, you know? Yeah. Although I will say not everybody that doesn't know they need it, you know, becomes an explosive expert and right. blows things up. But, you know, yeah. 
uh, I, I think that's another interesting thing about the film was you realize that the two characters were the same person um, and we get a bigger view of who the narrator is. We never got to know his name at all throughout the film. Right. We knew him as Tyler. Um, but the, the, the other problem is the, he, the narrator is very unreliable. Mm-hmm. So how much of everything we watched is true? Uh, there was a scene where they physically separated uh, and actions were being taken on one end. And like, for example, like the scene where they got the the senator who was talking about dealing with the hooligans and they got him in the bathroom. Um, the, he, uh, Edward Nutt's character was following him in the back uh, with all the crew members. But when they opened the door, Tyler Durden was already in the in the bathroom. So where was he? Was he following yeah. the senator or was he in the bathroom? So in a scenario like that, I don't know who I'm supposed to believe. Who is the reliable narrator in that situation? And I think that was on the point of the point that I wanted to bring in, but I forgot about it. But I guess in this general discussion, it's like, uh, it's quite interesting. Yeah. That's actually the, the the second line in my notes that I wrote. was like the most unreliable narrator ever. <laughs> Because, so, because one of the first lines he says is, with insomnia, nothing is real. Everything is a copy of a copy. I was like, and that's like one of the first lines he says. That is true. It's like, oh, interesting. So, that's that's setting up the movie. It's like, nothing is real. Right? So, so everything mm-hmm. that we see in this, this could be all in his head. Yeah. Like, I mean. Like, for all we know. Fan fiction. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's already in the mental institution. And this is just his regular day. And they need, you know, he's, he's having a rough time. They, you know, it's interesting. Somebody with, with, I think this has happened. I mean, it's been on record. People with literally more than one personality where when one personality is present and speaking, the other personality doesn't know anything about it. So there's all these blank spots, right? So... In a way, this movie, you know, is representative of that. I mean, I don't know how how common it is. I have to think it's not very common. Um, but, you know, it's just, yeah, and it's interesting. And to, to your point, Raji, when Tyler Durden and the narrator are in seemingly totally different locations from each other, and then we're trying to say they're the same person... How do you even figure out? You can't. I, and maybe that's another part of the point. You can't figure out what's actually true anywhere in the movie. Right. And uh, there was one moment where, like, once we know the twist, right, again, like, when you watch it, you look for, for clues. And there was one moment, like, right after they go to the, after the plane, um, when they meet for the first time. And Edward Norton is uh, waiting at the baggage area. And then you see Tyler Durden steal the car. Yeah. And that works. But then somebody's like, hey, that's my car. And I'm like, how's that? That doesn't work then, right? Because Edward Norton is still interacting with that other person. Mm, exactly. So, right. And then he goes to back to his condo that's been exploded. Yeah. And he calls on the phone. Who's he calling and talking to on the phone when he's calling 
Tyler Durden. So maybe this wasn't the most cleverly considered plot twist. <laughs> and I, I might even read the book. I'd be interested just to see how it plays out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, to that phone call, um, another one of those clues because like he he returns a call, right? And then the Brad Pitt Tyler Durden is like, who's this? And then Edward Norton is like, Tyler? Right? It's kind of oh. like a question, kind of like a statement. I was like, okay. Like, I yeah, didn't the, even but, think of that one. You're right. That's sly. They put that in there. And yeah, there's a lot of these small things right. there. And, uh, my note like, on that, that one. Oh, sorry. I no, go ahead. no, no. I was going to say my go note ahead. on that one was because he says, oh, I never answer this phone. Um, I just do star six, nine. And I'm like, but that's the phone number on your business card for your business. You don't answer your business phone. <laughs> <laughs> like that didn't make any sense. So I, I will, I will say that the scene where they were in the hospital room, I said the hospital, the hotel room and uh, where the Tyler reveals that he is who he is. Uh, I am, I am you. And the, we see, um, we see Edward Norton's character rush to pick up the phone and then he just falls into the bed and falls asleep and then wakes up and he goes out of the hotel room and she's like, can you make a, can you uh, sign off on your bill to show all these numbers you called in the middle of the night? I thought that was um, an effective way of saying like, hey, when Tyler Durden's character controls him, the other character is fast asleep and can't do anything. Hmm. Uh that, I think that was that was the only effective means where they showed like the two characters could be one. Um, every other time, it, it could have just been. I, it doesn't make. Don't think too hard. Suspend your disbelief. Yeah. And watch this film. It's fun. The acting is good. Eh. Yeah. But if you want to make it in the top two fifty. This movie is higher than Casablanca, and that makes me angry. Oh, <laughs> no. Yes, that's not right. That's not right. It's, it's, you know, it's higher than even, uh, what do you call it, Parasite that came out like two or three years ago. Oh, that's still on my list to watch. It, I have not oh, gotten there. It's, it's okay. a really good film if you ever get a chance to. Wait, is it the Netflix original Parasite? No, the, uh, oh, okay. the South Korean film. Okay. Um, I think it's on Netflix. I think the movie is very, very good, and it has okay. a it has a very interesting message, similar okay. message to Joker. But you know, okay, don't tell film. me because I am planning to watch it. I don't want. I will shut up. Don't All be right. that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any much. I don't have much more to add to this uh, yeah. the story. Um, I don't think this movie deserves to be in the top two fifty, at least not eleven. Um, I think that if you came up to me and said, this movie should be 70th, I would be, all right, I, I can see that. Maybe even 50th. That's good. But I think that 11th best film is mm -hmm. uh, is kind of cutting it a little too hard. Well, let me ask you this. Is the movie Clue in the top 250? The Clue. Clue. I'm not entirely sure. Oh, because I'm like, if that's not in the top 250, then Fight Club's not in the top 250. <laughs> it's just my favorite movie. It's my, it's a ridiculous movie, but it's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Blue is not on the list. Ugh. All right, then, yeah, 
forget it. No top 250 for Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, thanks for being on today, Heather. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, where can people find you? You can find me on, uh, if you want to listen to the podcast, Watching Netflix Without You, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, most podcast-dedicated uh, apps. Uh, you can just search Watching Netflix Without You. Uh, or if you want to follow me on social media, I'm at WNWY Podcast on Instagram, at Watching Netflix Without You on Facebook. Great. Raji, where can people find us? Um you can find us on all, um, all, most podcasting uh, applications, including Spotify, um, Apple uh, Podcast, and Red Circle. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, um, Instagram, and Facebook on at Movie Mistrial. Um, or you can email us at uh, contact at moviemistrial.com. All right, the next time we will talk about Forrest Gump. Wasted an opportunity to quote the line "Run, Forest, Run" from Fight Club. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, that line actually made me laugh in the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much right. for being here, Heather. We really appreciate it. Yeah, you're you. welcome. Bye. <laughs>